Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? I hope everyone's having a good weekend. I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning into this Saturday edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. We got our end of the week show for you. Wanted to let the Thursday show with Weldon breathe a bit before we drop this other podcast. So glad we've used that time to determine that uh, Weldon was an LSU planted spy the entire time he was at Ole Miss. Those of you who read the message board probably understand that one. Got a good uh, end of the week show for you here. Bracken Ray with the hoops check in. I know Ole Miss plays probably either after or during. Um, you're probably listening to this either during or after the game, but I think it's relevant. Some big picture stuff really did not spend a lot of time breaking down the Dayton Flyers. So I think it's pretty relevant. And then Greg and I did our pre-Christmas bowl picks with Skybox. We're in a bowl challenge with Skybox. It's us versus the nerds. Uh, I like our chances. They have numbers and math on their side, but uh, we'll see how that one turns out. So going to talk to Bracken Ray today. Going to talk to Greg, get the pre-Christmas picks, then hit some NFL, and then uh, get out of here on a weekend. So before we get to that, though, I want to remind you the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Fix. Who is Skybox Sports Fix? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval and Advanced Modeling Mechanism that has propelled Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Check these guys out. They went up plus 18.75 units in college hoops last weekend. Guess who didn't do that? Probably you out there listening by going off your own knowledge. You probably actually paid your bookie out. You need to check these guys out. There is no better way to uh, wager than with Skybox. They're going to lead you to profit more consistently than anyone in the industry. They have a picks package to fit your price range, whether that's day, uh, monthly. You can try daily pass. I'd recommend going all, all year, all sports. But uh, if you're looking for something a little cheaper, they're going to have something to fit your preferred sport and your preferred price, price range. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. If you go to skyboxsportspicks.com slash free play, they're giving out daily free plays in college basketball that are cashing like no other. Literally by not doing it, you're just – pissing away money so if you, that's something you're into that's fine if not go use the skybox free plays check them out sit, use the promo code rippy get 20 percent off any purchase podcast also brought to you by lb's university avenue across from kroger go see greg he needs no introduction he's about to tell you what's going on at the store during the holiday season it's the best place in mississippi to get meat oxford is so lucky to have a place like lb's check them out rippy rights subscribers rippy get a 16 ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a five dollar pack of sausage so how about that? Uh, that's a hell of a way to kickstart your weekend. Holiday season, you'd be the most popular guy at your Christmas gathering if you show up with that. Go find your own specials, all kinds of great stuff at LB's. All right, let's get to Bracken Ray. All right, we now welcome on former Andy Kennedy staffer during his time at Ole Miss, Bracken Ray. First hoops checked in in quite a while. We had some, we had some conflicting schedules. We were going to do one kind of before the Memphis game, but I couldn't do it. And then I, we were going to do one Sunday. Point being, we hadn't talked in a couple weeks. Uh, I figured it'd be a good time to check in, talk some Ole Miss basketball, and uh, and kind of go from there. What's up, man? Man, not a whole lot. It's an interesting time of the year, like work-wise, because it's like you're just trying to get to Christmas, and everybody's acting like they're doing a lot, but they really aren't. So trying to get to Christmas and then the Sugar Bowl is is kind of where I'm at right now. That that uh, Pardon my take. It's a young and up-and-coming podcast. Check them out if you haven't seen them yet. <laughs> Of Dan Katz, also known as Big Cat on there, had one of the truest, as he and PF do all the time, have one of like the truest and funnier takes I've seen where his opinion is after Thanksgiving break, no one works and everyone, whether they want to admit it or not, spends like the month and a half between Thanksgiving and the new year, just kind of halfway drunk, not really motivated. And I, I could not agree more, particularly now that I have a desk job. That is absolutely the case. 
there may be some truth there. Yeah. It's just like, eh, the year's kind of over. What are we going to do with these last five weeks? No one really works the last week of the year. I'm excited to go to the Sugar Bowl um, as well. Uh, we got some tickets. Uh, I am. At, are you flying? Or are you going for Jackson or are you uh, flying? I'm driving from Nashville. I'm going to kind of cut the trip up a little bit. Um, but made my week this week. I found out out of nowhere that I have uh, January the 3rd off. Oh, that's a power move. Yes. Had no idea about it. So I'm going to be down there for, I don't know, maybe four days. Um, So it's going to be, it's going to be a good time. Uh, Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to seeing some folks. I got decent seats. I know there are a lot of people pissed about the uh, kind of the seating allotment. I think unless I read my ticket wrong, ours turned out. Okay. Looking forward to getting in the dome and really just kind of going back to live sporting events because uh, I've kind of soaked that in over the last year after uh, obviously the COVID thing and then having to sit in a press box with a bunch of stuffy people for the last three years. But um, let's get right into it. So Ole Miss, I, the, we talked like I, we did one podcast in between Marquette, I think. You got Memphis coming up, I think was the last time we did one. So they win that game. They handled Ryder. They win that game. Uh, and really what was pretty close to rock bottom for Memphis, I think actually they lost to Murray State the next game, so maybe that was rock bottom. But then Ole Miss kind of bottomed out after that. One of the worst losses uh, I've seen in quite a while with Western Kentucky. Yeah. Survived middle last night. That was some really terrible schedule play-by-play. Where do you want to start? Let's start with the good. What did they do against Memphis you thought that uh, kind of turned the tides? I thought it was a lot of Memphis, but you know, Ole Miss was good enough offensively, and they're always good defensively. Yeah, well, you know, one thing we talked about um, before that game is, hey, you know, Memphis is super talented, but if you can pop them in the mouth and get some adversity going, they don't respond to it very well. Um, And, you know, Ole Miss, like statistically speaking, didn't just do anything, you know, off the charts, but they were able to kind of hang in there. um, And for Ole Miss during – in that game, popping Memphis and getting some adversity and then getting that crowd involved. If you think about it, it's probably the first time in a while that, you know, Ole Miss has kind of really had that crowd um, involved, helping them out in a non-conference game like that. Um, And so they were able to play off of that. Memphis had that four game stretch where they were a disaster and then go and, you know, pop Bama. So college basketball is nuts. Um, but Memphis is super talented. They just, I mean, Kermit kicked Penny's ass from the X's and O's and coaching standpoint in that game as well. Which is the knock on, on Penny, right? I mean, I, I mean, you as a former Andy Kennedy guy probably want to vomit every time you hear the term street ball. And I think that's one of the dumber yeah. phrases we have that we probably get out of our vernacular when it comes to talking about basketball. But what they're talking about when they say that, I think, is a lot of isolation and not a whole lot of flow and rhythm to it. And from what I've watched from Memphis, even when I watched that entire uh, 40 minutes of them beating Alabama the other night, it was the first time I'd caught a full Memphis game all year. I watched most of the old Miss Memphis game, but I was a little late because I had a couple of work things to do that Saturday. But like the first time I sat down start to finish, it's a ton of isolation and it's not a lot of movement. And he really is relying on those guys to I don't want to say out talent, but that's part of it. But just to use their skill set to beat dudes off the bounce. Like there's not a whole lot of uh, built in action or motion with their offense. And it's a tough product to watch. Yeah, it's kind of the opposite of Ole Miss's offense. Like yes. Ole Miss's offense at times is like too scripted and players don't feel like they can go, you know, it, it, they're, they're in their head and don't feel like they can go make a play. Well, Memphis, they're really good in transition. 
the one thing I'll give Penny credit for is in his tenure there, they've been pretty good defensively at times, but they don't run anything um, that, that makes any sense at all. And so for him, he's got Larry Brown on staff, Rasheed Wallace on staff. I watch, you know, when you, when you work in college basketball, like you look at the game a little differently and I don't think Larry Brown's doing a whole lot um, from like a coaching standpoint. His days are probably over. He's like 82, isn't he? Yeah, they've got a G League assistant who I think is doing a lot of like that kind of stuff um, from an X's and O's standpoint, but it's still it's still not great. Um, but, you know, college basketball, boom, they go pop Bama, who is probably, you know, one of the better teams in the league and super well coached as well. So it's it's crazy. Uh, we're not even to conference play yet. And college basketball has already got some craziness to it. Yeah, and not to turn this into a Memphis basketball podcast for those out there listening, but I do think this is relevant to what like what this win might mean for Ole Miss and if it'll even end up mattering at all. You mentioned Memphis not reacting well when they get popped in the mouth in adversity, and you had Penny saying a lot of strange stuff about the locker room and like it was almost like he was like pitting the veterans and the young guys against each other but he was on like team young guys like he kept saying the veterans don't want to help out the young guys and honestly there may be some truth to that but to me it just spoke to a guy that like honestly couldn't identify the source of the problem and he's sitting there like i don't know i got all this talent here i don't know why they're not beating these scrubs like you know it's a that that's a really interesting point because um like press conferences are interesting to me because like Lane and even the Sabins of the world, you know, they're like sending messages or sending shade yes. through press conferences to players. But AK used to like, do that. The, <laughs> Island of <laughs> Misfit Toys. Um, <laughs> but Penny's just up there. He's just like rambling a little bit. I don't. I don't think there's any like strategy to what he's doing in his press conference as well. And and then he puts out like a Instagram story about uh, how the city of Memphis needed to pray for his team. Not because, like, you know, somebody was sick, just because they were losing. And I'm like, this is a shit show. That was probably the worst part of it. Was that pre-Murray State loss or after the Murray State loss when he asked for uh, the city of Memphis's prayers for his, his college basketball team? I can't remember. It was in that time period. Yeah. But, yeah, it was so, wild. Nothing's wrong. They're just not good right now. But, like, you mentioned the adversity part of it. In that Alabama game, they never had to face any adversity. I thought they got very fortunate with a couple of uh, – with uh, early on in that game, I thought they took some poor shots that went in. I thought they got some offensive rebounds, which credit to them, they're good at that. And Alabama played poorly early. And then credit to Memphis, they played very, very well in the second half and really kind of punched Alabama in the mouth. But had Alabama come out on like a 9-2 run or something and really asserted their presence, particularly playing fast – like I, the, what I was expecting, I guess, was Alabama to beat Memphis at their own game in transition. I think you would have seen a much different game. But the fact that they didn't have to face that adversity were leading pretty much the whole time. They looked like an entirely different basketball team, which is going to breed volatility, don't you think, throughout the rest of the year? And to package that into an Ole Miss relevant question, how good of a win do you think this will be for Ole Miss down the stretch? Well, um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see. Memphis still has a lot of work to do to get kind of in that tournament talk again. So um, I think it'll be a, a good win, but it probably, if I were to guess today, would be like a quad two win. Which is wild to kind of think about given who they yeah. have on the floor every night. But back to Ole Miss. So what they did well in that game, as you mentioned, thought they guarded pretty well. I know the, the stat sheet says they gave up 12 offensive rebounds. They got out-rebounded 
but I didn't think they were absolutely manhandled on the glass. I don't know. I can't find how many seconds. Were, I, yeah, I think they lost the rebounding battle by like six, which all things considered against not bad. Like Jay, Memphis and Jalen Duran, not bad. Now it got it's gotten worse since then, but yeah. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. So like I, I didn't think in that, but that was the game they lost Robert Allen, which is you know, rebounding is part of it. Defense is some of it as well. But I didn't think they were overwhelmed on the glass. And they were, like I said, just good enough offensively. You know, fast forward the next week, they have the break for finals. And that Western Kentucky game was was about as brutal of a watch as you could possibly ask for, uh, particularly with Rick Stansberry on the other sideline. This team is very offensively challenged unless things are going perfectly. Would you think that's a fair assessment? What are you seeing from them offensively? Well, look, we've talked about it a lot and we talked about it last year. Um, you know, I, I think if you're look, this goes down to personnel, right? And I was a fan of the Ty Fagan edition and still am a fan of that, but they did not fix, um, you know, the perimeter scoring option, you know, out of the transfer portal, which was huge. We've talked about it this year and talked about it last year too. They have a really hard time, their guards and ISO situations beating people off the dribble. That's continued. Um, what really concerned me the Western game the, the most is, well, really two things concerned me the most. You got your ass kicked on, on the rebounding margin standpoint by a middle-of-the-pack you know, Conference USA team. You lost that battle by 12. The other thing that scared me a little bit is Ole Miss can't shoot from the perimeter, all right? They can't beat people off the dribble, and I'm, we'll talk about roughing a little bit because that does change things, but they, they can't beat people off the dribble, and then you don't have Romello White. So what Western did, and I was shocked that uh, Middle Tennessee did not do it a lot last night, although defensively, um, although defensively Middle played pretty well, is they zoned Ole Miss 46 times, okay? And how many points do you think Ole Miss scored off of uh, zone half-court sets? Twelve? Damn, that's a really good guess. Thirteen. Oh, okay. So I was I was close. I watched it. Yeah. I was watching this game from a uh, public establishment that I had to put it on. So I was kind of halfway paying attention. I'll pat myself on the back on that one. Thirteen. That is an atrocious Yeah. Score. Yeah, and this is from a you know one of these like synergy sports sites, and there's a little bit of subjectivity into it. But where where I get nervous now is, um, are some of these teams going to start zoning Ole Miss heavy? And there's not the personnel of the team. There's just not a whole lot of options to be able to score inside of the zone. I know Kermit likes to run. And, and you see a lot of coaches do this. He'll run some of his man sets against the zone defense. Like they're kind of some of his some of his offenses are interchangeable, whether you're getting manned or you're getting zoned. But it was atrocious. And when Ole Miss played middle last night, what was surprising to me is they zoned Ole Miss like six or seven times. I thought another middle of the pack conference USA team. I thought that middle would come out zoning a ton as well they didn't uh, but they also you know didn't play terrible defensively against Ole Miss either yeah and it was uh, I mean it was a no one scored for the first five minutes of this game I mean it was yeah. it was pretty brutal from the start without looking at the box score I'll give you a numbers challenge do you know what middle shot from three um nine percent 
I don't know what the percentage is uh, that JA education is not kicking in for me right now. That that may be correct. Oh, that is correct. Actually, I can do that math. They were three of 27. All right. I've got them on my end at 11%. That's, that's, <laughs> that's not good. I would say like that. No. Ole Miss would have been in a much bigger dogfight had anyone on – like had Middle been even just remotely offensively competent. And the part of that is credit to Ole Miss. They get after you, and they're long and they're active at times. Yep. Like they're not an incredibly like long team, I would say, but they have some interesting malleability, particularly on the perimeter. And like they really are very active. Like I guess they'll use, use the old coaching cliche. They have active hands. I don't know how many yep. steals they had in this game. Uh, seven, so I guess not a ton, but that's also not insignificant either. I just – I don't know. Like, it was a tough watch, and then they ended up being fine offensively. To kind of center it around what's wrong with them and kind of keep it going in that direction – Jarkel Joyner, I thought, has been better in spots, but I think a lot of his performances have looked a little bit like last night, and what I mean by that is he went 3 of 14 last night for nine mm-hmm. points. Now, that's on the lower end of, like, kind of his bad performances in terms of, like, the percentages and stuff, but he, he's at yep. 15 a game, but when he's getting 15 a game, it's uh, it, it doesn't, to me, look efficient. And I was looking at a couple base-level numbers today, and you look at that over the last couple games. Ryder, he ended up with, what, 18, but 6 of 16 from the field. Memphis, 6 of 13, 20 points. That's pretty damn good. I can't knock him that. 4 of 13 against Western Kentucky. Um, yep. You know, 4 of 10 against Boise State. It's just, it doesn't seem to be coming very efficiently. And then behind him, there's not another play on the team averaging double digits, which is a very basic level stat to look at. But my God, that's that's indicative of a problem. Yeah, Jarkel, um, I think, you know, I mean, statistic- statistically speaking right now, he's probably having like a second team all-conference kind of year. The issue for Jarkel is he needs somebody to create for him, and he's done a lot better in spot-up situations this year compared to last year. One thing I noticed a lot last night, though, and look, they're relying on him a lot. I mean, they are going on him. He placed 36 minutes last night. That's probably the better he, way to frame it, I guess. I, that, that sounded like a shit on Joiner session. Well, but it, yeah. it's, there, there's no other option. They, they, Kerm, I don't think Kermit trusts anyone offensively besides him. Do you? I mean, other than kind of, I mean, we get Nasir Brooks in decent position down low. It seems like he's kind of been capable. But outside of that, who is, yeah. who do you think he trusts right now? Well, he he trusts Nasir, and we and we talked about this, um, you know, preseason against a low to mid major undersized big. He trusts yeah. playing through. Nas Brooks a lot because he can just go over that left shoulder and score and he's pretty good at it and pretty efficient at it I don't think we're going to see that you know keep up in SEC play when you've got taller more athletic guards but for Joyner you know one thing that I saw last night that was a little concerning is he takes a lot of um, he takes a lot of dribbles without really going anywhere and so I think the next step for his game is being able to kind of beat people off the dribble and create because defensively the scouting reports probably changed on him a little bit. People are brought, you know, paying more attention to him, helping off him more because they know that Kermit's riding him so much offensively on the flip side of that though, a guy like a rough being able to create and take some of that pressure off joiner where he could have some uncontested looks um, could level up this offense as well. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because, like, at what point can you – I'm trying to think of the best way to frame this. At what point – he's not beating guys off the bounce. I think that's evident. He's actually been quite efficient from three-point range. I think he's at 41%. 
He's only taken 52, but he's made 20 of them. And so if you're not beating guys off the bounce, I think that's going to show up in other places. I mean, he's shooting, excuse me, he's at 38% from three. Sorry, I was looking at his normal field goal statistics, but they're basically the same. He's shooting almost the same from the field that he is from the three-point line. And I think that's indicative of a lot of mid-range pull-ups when he can't go by anyone. You mentioned the next thing for him is beating guys off the dribble. At, at what point, like from a basketball standpoint, if you were coaching and evaluating this team, at what point do you just decide that he can't do it and yeah. you need to play him <laughs> off the ball? Like, what, like well, is it reasonable to think that's coming at this point? Yeah, I, I do because, um, you know, one thing we saw is, hey, year one of Kermit moves Brian over to the wing. Right. You know, last year you saw um, Jarkel take the ball up the floor so they could run their offense on the wing through Schuler, who had played point the past two years. I think that's coming. What, what I think needs to happen is for Ruffin, who had, I thought had a pretty solid game last night, a little sloppy at times, but um, for Ruffin, they got to get him back in a rhythm. It's hard to take a few weeks off of, you know, being in game shape and, and all of that. When they've you've never played him, in college before either. When, you, when you've never played in college before either. They've got to get him to uh, a point where he can give you you know, 20, 25 minutes plus a game and go create because he did some really good things last night. His handles are great. And, you know, he had 12 points in 13 minutes last night. Now I say that he played a little sloppy at times, but he only had one turnover. Um, So I think that is what they're going to have to do. I think we're going to see that happen, especially kind of after Christmas going into conference play is putting rough in there, letting him create so that, People have to start digging off of him and helping off Ruffin, and it'll create more uncontested looks for other guys. Which is exactly where I was going next. He scored 12 points last night on four or nine shooting, missed his only two three-pointers, but he shot six free throws, which tells me he got to the line three times. There's that uh, math kicking in. Didn't you know, He only turned it over one time. I what the min, I can't uh, min, He only played 13 minutes, though. So he had 12 points in 13 minutes. Mm-hmm. That's pretty efficient. I imagine they're easing him back in a little bit. As we look at this team and look at what they're at going into conference, but look, they have to win these last two non-conference games, right? It's Dayton, yeah. Samford. Like it, it could get weird yeah. if you lose that. Like it could honestly be rendered a little bit moot. Uh, if they went on some ridiculous run in the SEC. Yeah, sure. I get it. But this is the X factor to this team. Is it not? Deshaun Ruffin becoming a consistent, reliable scorer who handles the ball a lot and plays on the ball versus off of it because you've seen what it looked like without him. And it's just like Jarkel Joyner having to kind of create on his own. And as we mentioned, beat people off the dribble, which is not happening. Like that to me is this team is what this team is tied to offensively right now. Is it not like this is the golden ticket? And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Yeah, and I mean, you say, you know, from a scoring standpoint for Ruffin, I would also say just as much from a creating for others standpoint. Um, If you look last year, you know, Sharif Cooper um, didn't play the first X amount of games, but when he came in for Auburn, I mean, it completely changed their offense. They didn't have just a ton of great players around him last year. I don't know that Ruffin's there, right, from from a talent standpoint. I mean, Sharif Cooper's a special player. Um, but could he add that wrinkle that makes other guys around him better because he's creating and for him, he he's got the best handles on the team. He can beat guys off the dribble. He's smaller. So, 
he's going to have uh, problems at times, both defensively and then um, also I like how he finishes around the rim because he, he likes to use the backboard to kind of defend himself. Um, but being small as well can be hard to finish around the rim too. So for him, I think it's not just, hey, we don't have any other guys that are in double digits. We need you to do that. But it's also, hey, could you give us like 11 and five a game? You know, could you, could you give us five assists too to create um, some baskets that we haven't been able to, uh, to create for here in the past? Which brings me to, and look, last night's a tiny example because we saw him in the season opener against New Orleans for 15 minutes and then saw him for 13 minutes last night. So we have a 28-minute sample size of Deshaun Ruffin's Ole Miss career. But he did take a decent amount of minutes, like pretty much all of his minutes came in place of Austin Crowley. And Kermit yeah. was asked about this last night, and I'm paraphrasing, but he gave an answer of like, look, like Austin's going to be a, a contributor on this team. He's going to be a pretty big part of this team. He just, you know, we wanted to get Ruffin in there as well. Austin struggled to keep guys in front of him off the dribble defensively. What do you think Austin Crowley's role is with this team now that Ruffin is back? I don't think it's as simple as he goes down and you don't really hear from him anymore. I mean, hell, they don't have the depth to do that. I'm just curious what you think he can provide and what his optimal role is for Ole Miss with having Ruffin back into the fold. You know, I think it's going to be in kind of ebbs and flows, and I think Crowley's going to be a guy that, there's going to be some games where they're going to ride him 25 plus minutes a game. And then there's going to be others where he kind of plays bad early and he just, he kind of goes to the end of the bench and that's been his career a little bit at, at some times. I mean, this year he starts off and, you know, he started really hot, but we all were kind of like, ah, I don't know that he can keep up, you know, double digits a game, but it's the thing that you and I both talked about early in, in, um, the preseason, it's like consistency from him. Austin, what, what is, what's your identity, right? And so that's the thing for him, for him to get minutes, he's got to be really good at one thing that can level this team up. And I just, you know, I don't really know what that is at this point. Yeah. And it's, I mean, outside of that, it's, it's, there's not a whole lot there. I mean, what, what, what have you made of Matthew Morell's season so far? Well, um, for Morrell, I think that, you know, he played really good in – it was that Memphis game he played really good in, I believe. And the big shot at the end as well. He had 19 points, five season high. That might be a career high. I would actually guess it is. Yeah. You know, for him, um, he he's not great as a straight-line driver offensively. And right now, um, he's shooting – pretty poor percentage. I mean, 34 from the field, 31 from the three point line. So he is, he was the one that everybody wanted to take that next step. And early in the season, we kind of thought it was also Crowley that was taking the, that step. Um, but Morrell, you know, hasn't taken that step. And I'll be honest um, I, on the defensive end of the floor, he does some really good things, but uh, Rodriguez hasn't, I don't feel like he's taken much of a step this year either. Just from an offensive standpoint, um, when you're looking at efficiency too, that's another guy that they could really um, use. And he, he may start having to play, you know, the four a lot more with Robert Allen out, who I, I think that was a big loss from them from both a, you know, toughness standpoint and um, from an offensive and defensive rebounding standpoint as well. But yeah, for Morrell, he just hasn't taken that jump yet. And, um, you know, I think everybody at this point thought that, that freshman to sophomore year, you'd be seeing it with a, a quarter of the year over. Yeah. And what do you, what do you make of what both he, like, I guess we'll start with him. Cause I want to get to Rodriguez in a second, 
he was a highly recruited kid. When Ole Miss landed him, it was like, oh, wow. Like, I think he was the highest rated recruiter in school history. What is in the evaluation process? I don't remember how much, if any, overlap you had, of like what, like working in it and what he was as a prospect. Yeah. What do you think has not translated to this point? I hate to do this, you know, 12 yeah. or 10 games into his sophomore year because it does take some guys' time, but I think it's relevant. What do you think hasn't translated yet? Well, if you look at the way he plays with the ball in his hands, he's way too stiff, right? So uh, big thing, you know, all of our college football recruiting buddies look at offensive linemen, their hips, right? Like that's a, that's a really big thing that they look at. For um, guards, it's such a pick and roll game right now that, um, and Kermit runs kind of this, you know, continuation weave, but with Morrell, he plays too stiff. He plays too high offensively, in my opinion, um, to be able to beat people off the dribble because he's a pretty damn good athlete. And so that's the big thing that I think is hurting him. When he gets going, though, what gets him confidence or has in the past is when he can get out and get some transition buckets. That's always gotten him into a rhythm a little bit more. Ole Miss still is doing a pretty good job in transition offensively this year. Um, but he's a guy that could really, you know, he could really use getting a few transition buckets early to get him going uh, throughout the, the course of the game. And then now we get to Luis Rodriguez. He's it's hard to quantify like what he like how he's playing defensively, particularly to an untrained eye. To me, it's been pretty yeah. good for the most part. But I always I always wondered if he could offer you like what he could offer you defensively and if it could be a bump. I think he's at seven points a game. Like, could that guy end mm -hmm. up being a 10 point a game scorer and get to like five rebounds or six rebounds? I think he's at like four point seven rebounds, something like that uh, per game. It, what do you expect from him offensively and should Ole Miss rely on pretty much anything offensively or is that strictly, Hey, go shut down this other, like the other team's best score and whatever we get to bonus. Well, if you look at um, Luis and if you kind of compare him to Todd Fagan, uh, Luis is playing about five minutes a game more. Their stats offensively are very similar. Fagan's probably um, a little bit more efficient in, in what he's doing currently. He's very what? efficient. Fifty per, uh, almost fifty-one percent from the field. Sixty-one shots, thirty-one made baskets. Six and nineteen from three. But I think before two games ago, that was at like almost thirty-seven because he doesn't take very. Yeah, many. that's right. That's right. What's keeping Luis on the floor compared to Ty Fagan is being able to guard. And at this point, we all know that you know Kermit's identity for this you know this group and this program is being able to guard. Luis is a more talented defender but also makes less mistakes um, than Fagan too. I think, you know, one thing we saw last night, a few of these guys got back cut more than you'd like to see, but I think they were kind of playing aggressive and getting up in guys and playing in passing lanes. What's keeping Luis on the floor is being able to defend. Um, and I just think for Luis, because his numbers have been pretty similar to this, you know, the, the last year and the season for that, his ceiling's just not super high offensively. He's a good athlete. He's a good defender, but his ceiling is not super high. And that's, and we just haven't seen him take that next step as well. Do you think Kermit's figured out a rotation? Because it's fascinating when you look at how the minutes have been dispersed up and this will change because you haven't seen Ruffin and Ruffin in the mix at all. And Robert Allen is no longer with, or not no longer with the team. He's out for the year with an injury. It's been Jarkel Joyner who's playing 33 minutes a game, pretty much a, stay on the floor despite kind of your rotational sits rest type of guy. And then you have 
one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven guys, six not including Allen, but Ruffin will be in this mix as well, between 24 and 20 minutes a game. It seems like he's still searching a little bit, but it's yeah. also what I mean, that's a seven, eight man rotation at this point as well. Ten for Sammy Hunter seems like he's fallen out of favor a bit. How do you see this rotation shaking out as they get to SEC play? Well, I'll tell you this. I think Sammy's minutes are going to have to increase with Robert Allen going down. They don't have an option. I agree. Yeah. And they're trying to run, um, you know, one thing they're trying to do too, like you said, they don't have an option is put Breakfield at the five some. You're going to see that more. Um, it's really funny because before the season started, I said, Hey, I think he's got a little trend in Watford to his game. I could see him running some point forward, and now he's going to run some center this year as well. <laughs> but, um, you know, for this group, do they have the lineup figured out? No, I don't, I don't think so. Um, they got a lot of guys they are trying a lot of things. We know Jarkel's going to get, you know, the heaviest of the minutes. I think Brakefield and Brooks are two guys that you're going to see start a lot. And uh, until – Unless Tom Fagan's just giving them something crazy offensively, I think Luis is going to start over him just because there's a, a pretty decent difference on the defensive end of the floor. So now where these minutes are going to get chopped up or the spot's going to get chopped up, so to speak, is, hey, you're Morrell, you're Crowley, you're Ruffin. And I think as time goes on, um, you're going to see Ruffin's minutes increase. What I've always been nervous about with him, because I'm a huge fan of his game, obviously McDonald's All-American. When you get into conference play, you've got a lot of teams with really athletic guards. You've got some teams with big guards. He's a really small guy, and he has quick hands defensively. But if I was playing this team, and um, you know, let's say offensively my shortest guy was 6'3", 6'4", I'm running NBA-style post-ISOs against Ruffin. I'm trying to put him on the block and letting one of my guards just go up, you know, like a post player against him. Um, and I think you're going to see that happen sometimes. I mean, I think he weighs like 160 pounds. He's probably realistically 5'8". Um, and so that's one thing that, hey, we may see 12 points in 13 minutes. We may see, um, you know, a few assists and him be able to create, but – are we going to switch baskets for that? And if you notice, you know, Kermit, like Kermit's going to take guys out for not being able to defensively perform, you know, that's his MO. Um, so that's kind of the questions in my head with this increase in rough in minutes. I do think it'll, uh, I do think it'll make the offense uh, a lot more entertaining though. As we get, Closer to conference play, they've got two games left, as I outlined earlier. Dayton team, who's not great, and then I don't know anything about Sanford, but they're going to play an SEC game on Wednesday, December 29th. Do you, want a, you want a fun fact about Sanford? Yes. Their head coach was a high school coach two years ago. Oh. Mountain Brooks high school coach. Got the Sanford gig. He got the Sanford gig. Yeah, Sanford so was he, good a couple years ago. I'm guessing someone left. How did he get um, the job? Or maybe I'm no, misremembering. They, I don't. I don't think they've been great. Um, it, it's a. It's a decent job. Like John Brady was there maybe 20 years ago. Um, he. He just he he did a really really good job um, at Mountain Brook. They've won a ton of state championships. He he's a genius. I mean, he X's and O's wise, he's crazy. I actually one time was up in Nashville. And he found out that I worked for the Ole Miss team. We, we have some mutual connections and got out um, 
got out uh, some paper and was like, I'm going to show you how I would attack y'all's one, three, one, because nobody knows how to do it. And it was something that I'd never seen before. So he's like this super analytical guy. Ooh. I think he's in his maybe mid thirties. Um, but yeah, two years ago, he was, he was Mountain Brook high school's head coach. And I they, was beat, not- they beat somebody this year. That was, um, that was like a pretty, that was a pretty good win. I'll look it up a shocker. I can't remember who it was. I'll have I, to. I was doing the research off the top of my head because I was like, damn, what the hell am I talking about? I was thinking of Wofford. Remember when uh, Wofford had oh, uh, yeah. Storm McGee and or Storm, whatever the two guards that had like the most like frat names ever? That's who I was thinking <laughs> of, not Sanford. And then the Mountain Brook guys, Bucky McMillan or something. Yeah, like. that's right. Bucky. Um, so they beat they beat Oregon State, but Oregon State is one and eight this year. So I guess uh <laughs> I can't I guess we can't give them a whole lot for that. So they've got to win these last two games. What chances do you give them in SEC play? Because the league looks to be pretty good, and an offensively challenged team going into the, the into this version of the SEC looks like they might struggle. I think their defense will keep them in games a lot of nights. But man, if you have stretches like they've had offensively for seven, eight minutes at a time, sometimes longer than that, you're going to get blown yeah. out no matter how well you're playing defensively. What do you? Has your opinion changed on this team at all, and how and how they could fare in SEC play? Yeah, I mean, to be transparent, I probably am, you know, more nervous about it. I mean, than I was, um, especially after the Western Kentucky game. That was probably one of the worst losses, I don't know, 15, 20 years that I've seen. Um, Because that's not, you know, we talk about Western and Stansberry, and they're normally, you know, supposed to be really competitive in the Conference USA. They were a net, like, 230 team going into that game. Uh, th- that's not a super great team. I'm really nervous because now I, we, you know, they've had trouble against scoring against man. It was a, atrocious against the zone. So now there's multiple ways to defend them, but the tops, the top half of the sec is a gauntlet, right? So it's, it, it's going to be tough, um, going into this, but you're right. You know, defense travels. And so, you know, at home on the road, if you can sit down and guard, you know, that really can, can keep you in a lot of games. You need somebody outside of Jarpel Joyner to step up for you offensively if you want to be um, competitive in the SEC this year. And that's probably best bets, Deshaun Ruffin, right? Because you haven't seen much from uh, Jamie and Brakefield, who we didn't talk about a ton outside of him being once a pot- potential point forward and now playing center. Like it, it has to, like they have to end up formulating a pretty decent guard tandem between Ruffin or, uh, it's, excuse me, between Ruffin and Joiner. Or like I don't even know what else that would look like. How they would get a ton better offensively. That that seems like pretty much their only option. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to watch because the second part of that has been out for a month. That's right. That's right. It's going to take some time. They they really need this Christmas break to get them going. I, they've done a really good job in transition this year um, and haven't turned it over a lot in transition. Like we said a, a few times from a tempo standpoint, I get a little nervous about them getting track meets with some of these SEC teams. Um, so far, they've done a decent job of kind of finding a happy medium between transition and half court. The half court offense just has not been efficient so far. And that's another part of it. Like the, I guess the last thing you mentioned that Christmas break thing, that's what I always used to hear from coaches all the time whenever I was working in it. How did some of them even look at it three seasons, like pre-Christmas, after Christmas, then like February, I guess. Like what yeah. can change when you have eight, nine days off and you're just practicing a bunch during Christmas? Cause they're about to have that after this 
Uh, is it after the Sanford game? Yeah, well, you're going to have eight days off for SEC play. What can change in that time period? Why is that so well, important to a basketball Well, team? it can be a really good thing, and it can be a really bad thing as well. I mean, you've got – back in the day, we had people go into like five different countries for Christmas break on our team, right? So right. There, there, there can be some really good things and really bad things. I promise it makes support staff people super nervous when some of these guys go back home. But I think for, for some of it, it's just a good time to kind of reset evaluate the team you've been going 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 playing games like every three game uh three days so it's a good time to see what your identity is and and make adjustments as well and i i just think one thing that's going to be big is hey you're going to get ruffin's going to get two more games in and you know we don't know how if he's 100 percent or not but i think the break also gives him some time to recharge from him being injured now as well Last big picture thought, I know Kermit's identity is defense, and that's lived up to the challenge. He made a team that you thought would be pretty bad defensively or not great defensively his first year into an NCAA tournament team and kind of untapped some offense there. But once Bree and Tyree and, you know, Terrence Davis and Jarkel, excuse me, I was about to say Jarkel Joyner, um, Shuler have left to an extent. They just haven't, they haven't found any scoring wise. Do you think big picture, he knows he has to start landing on scores or this is going to get bad? Like, where do you see this long term? Because, Eventually, he's got to get someone that can beat someone off the dribble and get a little more yeah. dynamic. Maybe that's what Ruffin turns into, but you're going to need multiple of them, don't you? Yeah, my most like elementary take of, of uh, I guess, possible is I think looking back on it, he's recruited too many forwards and not enough guards. And I know why he does it, right? It's his makeup. He wants to be long. He wants to be athletic. Helps not only in the man, but also in the one three one and the 2-3. But – you know, the SEC is a guards league and in conference play, you've got to have guards that can go make things happen. And so I think, yeah, going forward, he and the portal has got to go, um, you know, he's got to go land some impact guys that can make things happen, both beating people off the dribble perimeter shooters as well. And I think for this team, you know, the big thing that, that that's missing is also having that, you know, perimeter shooter that we haven't had the past two seasons. Last uh, last thing I missed on this, they lost Robert Allen after the Memphis game. What what are they losing in Robert Allen? Well, you, he he plays super super hard. Um, I think for him, he does some really good things defensively, but also can get uh, from a rebounding standpoint was probably one of their better rebounders. If you look at it, since he has been out, you get beat by twelve and maybe eight on the rebounding mar- margins by middle of the pack conference USA teams. Right. And so one thing when you recruit to long and athletic guys, you normally hope that you're pretty solid from a rebounding standpoint, losing him makes me really nervous going into conference play about rebounding margins. And that front court depth gets pretty slim. Does it not? Absolutely. I mean, you know, you got, you got Breakfield. What, what they're probably going to do, like we talked about earlier, is I think um, Luis is going to have to slide over to the four some, and then they're just going to have to throw Sammy Hunter out there and see what he can give you. He is Bracken Ray, former Andy Kennedy staffer. We'll be back on checking in more regularly during conference play. I appreciate the time, my man. We'll talk again soon. Enjoy the Sugar Bowl. I'm sure I'll see you down there. Absolutely. See ya. And that was Bracken Ray. Appreciate his time. As always, interesting stretch coming up for this basketball team. I'm interested to see how they uh, – after their uh, kind of eight-day layoff during Christmas break, how much better they get. Otherwise, I think it's going to be uh, tough sledding for them in Southeastern Conference play. So, anyway, let's get to uh, Greg's 
Picks LB's Fresh Cuts Bowl Extravaganza. I just made that name up. We'll call it that. Here we go. All right, we now welcome on Greg the Meat Jart Jones. It is College Football Bowl Mania presented by both Skybox Sports Picks and LB. Check them out, LB University Avenue across from Kroger. That was such a terrible uh, ad read. It usually just flows out of my mouth, but... We're here to pick some bowl games coming at you late on a Friday afternoon. Some podcast scheduling stuff this week, National Signing Day interview scheduling. Uh, we missed the first two games. That's really on brand. We're never one to do anything on time. Uh, by the time most of you are hearing this, because I think this is going to be a Friday night, Saturday release, uh, the first two games, uh, it'll be middle and what Toledo uh, played early this morning in the Bahamas Bowl, which is one of my favorite bowl games. I'll get to that in a second. And then you had Northern Illinois Coastal. Well, uh, I had picks for that because I'm in a bowl pick them, but uh, Skybox had them as well. But we're going to – it's going to be me and uh, Greg versus the nerd. So Skybox versus us, who has the best record. What's up, my man? Are you ready? Oh, yeah, I'm always ready. I will have to give an extra plug on Skybox because I think their basketball plays are absolutely on fire right now. Oh, have you been getting on the free play? Because I texted Rob this weekend – and uh, I was like, I text him every Sunday or whenever, like, Weldon and I do the Sunday podcast. I'm just like, hey, any stats you want me to throw? If the week hasn't been, you know, outstanding, he'll just be like, nah, just keep it rolling. Most of the time he has something standing. And then he just he just hit me with a plus 18 units in college hoops. And I was like, okay, <laughs> that yeah, seems good. I mean, uh, every time I log on uh, my Twitter account, it seems like Skybox is posting, you know, the guy – uh, they post the GIF of uh, um, Wolf of Wall Street, the guy with the glasses, like pumping, uh, hitting his chest. Like uh, that—that's their victory. That's their victory uh, GIF, I think. Uh, yes. <laughs> so Skybox is on fire. You're right. You got to give them the extra plug there. They're going to murder the bull picks as well. Let's. Uh, before we get into it, though, what's happening at the store? We got the holiday season coming up. What's uh, what's popular as we get closer to Christmas? Uh, well, it's beef tenderloin and standing rib roast season. So, um, you know, it's just it seems like the beef tenderloin and the standing rib roast and uh, and it's kind of like the, the, the Christmas tradition. So been cutting a bunch of beef tenderloins, just got done cutting about six of them. And I've got I think right now we have, I think, 31 on order. So I'll be I'll be a busy bee uh, come Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday this next week. So. Yeah, man, just a traditional holiday season, uh, beef tenderloin, standing rib roast. Um, you know, it just depends on how many bones you, and how, many, how much meat you want to have left over. So, um, yeah, those are kind of the traditional things right now. Have we gotten any momentum on our anti-turkey takes? I feel like Christmas is more of a ham one. I know everyone loves to do the turkey on Thanksgiving type of deal. Have, has anyone come in the store and been like, yeah, that ham shit sucks. Give me something good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, it seems like, uh, you just do your traditional thing on Thanksgiving, but you uh, you splurge on on uh, Christmas to get the standing rib roast and the beef. So yeah, uh, lots of beef eaters uh, for Christmas this year. That's good to hear. Uh, I just am not not a huge turkey guy. Glad the people are following along uh, with us on that one. Let's get right into these games then. Uh, so we had we had two games already happen. I actually uh, so the one as we were recording still going on coastal. And Northern Illinois, it closed it cut. Northern Illinois plus 12. In my bull pick I took Northern Illinois. And then I actually took in the other bull pick that doesn't do, like, spreads or whatever, uh, middle to win the game outright. So you have two huge underdogs that are faring okay right now. Long way to go in this Northern Illinois coastal game. 
but uh, Skybox was on middle plus 10 and a half and Northern Illinois plus 10 and a half. So they got that actually at a worse line. I guess they booked it in early, but that closed at 12. So Skybox looking pretty good shape to start two and oh right now. Uh, I am not, if, if, if you're asking for proof of my picks, uh, I'm just going to give you a middle <laughs> finger, but I do have documentation on uh, ESPN and some other site that we're doing it through. So we're two games in, we're looking okay so far. With all that said, I'm sure it's about to get very, very, very uh, much worse after this. Let's start with the, ah, damn it. I wanted to get to the bowl name games. So this is going to be too much to keep up with. Hell with it. I'm uh, I'm smart. I'm multitasking. Roofclaim.com, Boca Raton Bowl. We got Western Kentucky, Appalachian State kicking things off on Saturday at 10 a.m. It is App State minus two and a half. Uh, I'm going to go with the uh, the Western Kentucky. I know that they've uh, had some uh, recent tragedy in Western Kentucky and, you know, kind of Kentucky, the state of Kentucky's pulled together. So hopefully, uh, hopefully the, the Hilltoppers will, uh, will, you know, give them something to cheer about. Uh, and I'll take Western Kentucky, the Hilltoppers. I love that angle, Greg. Coming in hot off the top of the pod, I was about to say I'm going to pick App State because I feel like I don't watch a ton of App State. I do like the weeknight Sunbelt games. I think they're kind of fun. But it feels like every time I, like, go against App State, I turn it on, and they're up, like, 21 to 3 on someone and just running down their throat over and over and over again. You're like, damn, is the team I went with, like, they ever going to get the ball back? But with the win, <laughs> I like it. Let's do one for the people because I know it's been a tough, tough situation there in uh, Kentucky. Those are some really, honestly, jarring photos uh, of the tornadoes that ripped through there. I like that angle. I'll go to the Hilltoppers as well. And guess what? Skybox is on the Hilltoppers as well. Uh, they got it at plus two and a half. Yeah, so we're at two and a half. I don't remember if I said three or two and a half. So we're on the Western Kentucky train there. The PUBG Mobile, no, PUG Mobile, New Mexico Bowl. Hey, for all of us dumb people out there, can you not put, like, can we change up the order? I thought this game was in Mobile. Apparently this is in New Mexico this is UTEP in El Paso, which is closer to New Mexico than just about anywhere else, I guess. And Fresno State. It is Fresno minus 11 and a half. Ooh, man, I think that might be too many points. I mean, I feel like these underdogs, you know, might have a good shot in all these bowls, games, but uh, I mean, you know, UTEP, uh, uh, I'll go with the underdog. I'll, I'll keep consistent. I'll go with the, I'll go with the underdog. I'll take the points. I'm going to go with the underdog until it kills me because the two underdogs in these Friday games, well, one won the game outright, and Northern Illinois, as of this recording, is is leading. I don't know if they'll end up holding on, but they're faring pretty well as a double-digit underdog. Uh, I'm going to go with the Miners. Yeah, 12 or 11 and a half. Skybox got this at 13 earlier in the week. So we'll go with their, we'll go with the Skybox line with their discrepancy. So we're actually getting this sucker at 13. How about that? Uh, yeah, too yeah, many points. Give me the Miners. Uh, I've always thought that was a cool nickname and logo. Uh, the UTEP Miners, they got the nice little T with the pickaxe on it. Love oh, that. Yeah. There big, will be big fan of that pickaxe. like that a lot. There will be hundreds of people at that game. Although uh, UTEP, uh, I just mentioned it being close proximity. Maybe you'll get a little more people. I love the crappy bowl games. I wanted to do the uh, my Bahamas bowl take. I won't take too long on this. I like The people that complain about uh, more bowl games or there's too many bowl games, I think just hate fun. Like, you don't have to watch it. Like, why do you care about more schools making more money to get nicer stuff at their facilities and more football? I've never been – I've never understood the there's too many bowl games. Why do we have so many? If everyone's making money involved and it's benefiting everybody, and no, this is not a players are exploited take, like, I don't understand that. Like, why would you not want more football? I think some of the most fun bowl games are the ones between crappy teams like – you know, the Hawaii Bowl on Christmas Eve or some random bowl game tomorrow that's going to be just an absolute bonkers game 
that doesn't matter at all. Remember that cheese it uh, that cheese it bowl game a couple years ago between like I think it was TCU and uh, Cal, and the game ended like twelve seven, and I think there was like thirteen combined turnovers. That's what bowl season's about to me. Oh yeah, it's just like you know trying to uh, patch everything together for one last time, one last game, and uh, you know yes, I'm a big bowl fan. I just you know that. It doesn't matter how many there is. It, it, it's always fun to have football on the TV, regardless of what time of the day is. My favorite thing about the Bahamas Bowl, which is a long-winded way to finally get to my point, I find that bowl hilarious because it being the Bahamas, there's always some ridiculous wind, and it's two, you know, Sun Belt Conference USA level teams that probably have really shitty kickers. There are hilarious kicks in that game. The poor kid from Toledo had like a 27-yard field goal that he missed it by 15 yards left. It was a bad kick to start off with, but the wind was blowing left to right. And that thing may not have made it to the end zone. It may have pelted someone with five-yard line tickets on the left sideline. I'm talking just absolute 90-degree angle to the left. That's one of my favorite (laughs) things about that Bahamas Bowl Stadium. Just absurd kicks from kickers who are already – uh, struggling, shall we say? That's a that one's always one of my favorites. And you got the announcers not dressed up. There's no one there. No one cares. I just find that hilarious. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, like the Duke mayonnaise bowl. I mean, you know, you got to give it some credit. I, I like the sounds of it. Yeah, and there's games that like, like you have memorable games. Like the Bahamas Bowl, if I'm not mistaken, was the one a couple years ago where you had like a Western Michigan or Central Michigan, like like 34 or 28 com- point comeback in a quarter. Just some crazy shit happening. Anyway, that's my pro bowl game, Rand. Let's move on. Radiance Technologies Independence Bowl. It is UAB and BYU. So we got uh, Mormons and Dragons dueling here. Uh, BYU minus six and a half. Excuse me, Skybox got it at seven and a half. We'll stick with what they got it at. But six and a half is what it is currently at. Um I hate to go against Bill Clark and the UAB Blazers here, but I think BYU is good. I'm going to go BYU if I can get that at six and a half. I don't think seven and a half would change my opinion too much. So I'm off the dog train. Yeah, I'm going to go with you. I'll I'll, I'll agree. I mean, I I don't know if this is good or bad, but yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I I like BYU. I think they're a good team. Skybox is steady on the underdog train. They are on the UAB Dragons. They got it at seven and a half uh, just for clarity purposes because they are the professionals that do this. Oh, let's see. Eastern Michigan Liberty Bowl in the Lending Tree Bowl. Hugh Freeze loves a lending hand at times. I don't know where this bowl game is played. It is Eastern Michigan and Liberty. Uh, Liberty is minus eight and a half. I think that has moved to nine, but we're going to do it at eight and a half. I liked what I saw from Liberty enough when they played Ole Miss. I don't know how much you could actually tell from that, but, you know, Malik Willis showed some stuff. I'll – uh. No, I'm going against Pastor Hugh. This one's going to fall on his assistants. His assistant coaches will lose to Eastern Michigan. I'm going to keep the underdog train here. Give me Eastern Michigan and the points. Yeah, I, I like Liberty here. I just think that, uh, you know, Hugh Freeze's bowl record speaks for himself, and I'm just going to go – I'm going to hit that angle. Oh, I like that. I like that. Wait, so, yeah, I, well, I don't know. There was that Peach Bowl. I'm hoping this is a Peach Bowl, not a Sugar Bowl deal for uh, Pastor Hugh. Skybox yeah. on Eastern Michigan, eight and a half. So – I mean, you know, the Bow Wows might Bow Wow in these uh, bowl games. There we go. Uh, Jimmy, how about this? See, this is what bowl season is about. SoFi Stadium, probably the nicest stadium in the country right now, that brand-new just metropolis they built out in uh, Inglewood, California. Had a great Thursday night game there. Uh, Talk about a brutal beat if you had the Chargers last night. Uh, The Jimmy Kimmel L.A. Bowl. 
presented by Steinfeld. I don't even know what that is. I don't really care. Uh, the Jimmy Kimmel like, Bowl. Se- Se- Seinfeld, the TV show? Uh, no, Steinfeld. We could go oh. Seinfeld. <laughs> Why can't we have a Festivus Bowl? It's a Festivus for the rest of us. That would be incredible. Anyway. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, yes, I had a bad beat on the Charger last night. Uh, I'll definitely accept that loss. That's for sure. Ooh. Ah, uh, let's see. Oregon, yeah, State, uh, Oregon, Oregon State, State you, you Oregon State, Utah State, it is, let's see, Oregon State minus seven and a half. I like the Beavers here. I like their uh, their uh, turnover chainsaw. Oh, that is a cool one. I'm going to go Utah State here. They've been a pretty solid Mountain West club. They tend to care more, uh, more about these games. And uh, I'm, if I'm getting the, uh, getting the hook there and it's over a touchdown, I'm going to go with the uh, – with the Utah State Aggies. Yeah, that's what they are there. Skybox has literally not picked a favorite yet. How about that? Uh, plus seven and a half. They're going with Utah State as well. And then the first weekend of bowl season tradition, the RL Carriers New Orleans Bowl that starts at a ridiculously late hour in the Superdome. I could be wrong about this. Don't check me up on the records, but either ULL or Middle Tennessee has played in this bowl game every single year. It's been a bowl, and I will not hear about it otherwise. The first Saturday of bowl I, I, season. I, I, thought, I thought North Texas uh, uh, weaseled themselves in there a lot. Yeah, North, so that's an occasional one, but North Texas usually gets that, like, outdoor game in Fort Worth. I don't know. I'm just I'm, – like, I feel like ULL has played in this bowl game nine times, and when they don't play in it, it's middle. It is the uh, Sun Belt champion – uh, Louisiana, no Billy Napier in this game. He's not coaching the bowl game. They're 12 and one ranked 23rd in the country taken against the Marshall thundering herd. And it is only, this has dropped all the, Skybox got this at six. This has dropped all the way to four. So this is now ULL minus four. They're on uh Louisiana minus six. So we're cheating here. We're going to, I'm going to follow the nerds. I'm going to go ULL minus four. That seems like not enough point there. ULL's good. Yeah, I mean, I remember we took we both took them against Texas, and that was their only loss on the year, and then turn around and run the table. Man, I mean, you know, I, I know losing the head coach is kind of a big deal, but, you know, it really the assistants are who they are. So I, I kind of like the uh, the program that UL uh, developed down there, and I think they're in good good hands regardless with without Napier. So I think they roll in this game. I like it a lot. Yeah, and to me that's a uh, rally the troops, like – you know, seniors get together one last time. Well, I don't know how many seniors they have on that team, but I, I don't buy into the Napier factor as much either. Uh, Skybox, I just mentioned on Louisiana. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm not going to call them Louisiana. Excuse me, ULL. I'd like to uh, correct the record because I don't care how many times they send that in a press release and send uh, – you know, they used to email reporters when they got it wrong in a story, like we go by Louisiana now. It's like, no, you don't. Not in my brain. Uh, so suck what did it. they used to be? Southwestern Louisiana? No, no, no. That's uh, that was UL Monroe. Louis ULL UL Lafayette wants to be called Louisiana now. That's it. Did you miss this whole boat in like the last like three years? They have become very pretentious about that. Yeah, I mean because I think uh, whenever they did change it, everybody was making fun of them because of the U La La. Yeah, because they were called U La La. Yeah, that's probably why. I just don't have much sympathy for it in my mind. Like. Sorry, they should have changed it when I was five years old. It's way too. I mean, to change how can they how, how can they establish themselves as the University of Louisiana? I mean, like Monroe's there, uh, you know. Yeah, I, I think there. I think there has to be a a, a law or a bill written in, written into uh, to law who's the official University of Louisiana. That's like a very Ross Bjork thing to do. That's going to register. Uh, 
that's going to register for about a dozen people out there. But if one person gets a chuckle out of uh, that being a Ross, that, that just seems so very on brand Bjork. And I can't even really like articulate why that is something like that's a hill he would die on. Like to me, when I see ULL, when they used to send me emails, I see Ross Bjork on that stupid tricycle, like that just dying on that hill. Um, so Skybox, that's their first favorite they took. They went with uh, ULL there. Uh, Monday, December 20th, the Myrtle Beach Bowl. Uh, the dirty Myrtle. I had a buddy from, uh, oh, what's that town that Michael Jordan's dad got shot in? I know that was a dark turn of the podcast. Uh, um, Lumberton, Lumberton, North Carolina. Yeah. Good buddy of mine from college. Uh, I haven't seen him in quite a long time. He was always like, you got to do Myrtle for spring break. And the one year we were going to do it, it was some big biker convention. And I was like, I don't like, I was ready for some ratchet Myrtle, but I'm not sure I'm ready for this. We ended up going fishing in my, right outside of Miami instead. But I, I just heard the Myrtle Myrtle gets ratchet. And we have two, uh, two teams that could live up to the billing two, six and six teams, Tulsa and old dominion. It is Tulsa minus nine, I think. Yeah. Nine. So Tulsa minus nine. Uh, I don't even really know anything about it, these two teams, but I'm staying on the underdog train. These are two six and six teams. I don't think Old Dominion's nine points worse than Tulsa. So uh, give me what it, or Old Dominion. Aren't they like the Monarchs? Give me whatever the hell yeah. that is. Yeah. Well, uh, surely this is Old Dominion's like first bowl as a D1 program, right? Oh, I didn't think about that. Let me, uh, let me, we'll get our IT. I would think, I would think that there's an angle there. So I'm going to go with Old Dominion. You know, I know they're a basketball powerhouse, but, uh, it seems like the winds of change have, uh, have, have, is Old Dominion in Oklahoma? Uh, now you're asking me to do geography. Um, no, I think Old Dominion's on the East Coast. I'm going to swear, I don't, uh, yeah. Anyway, I, I, I'm pretty sure it's Old Dominion's first bowl game ever as a D1 program, and we're gonna go with the underdogs, the Old Dominion Monarchs. They're in Norfolk, Virginia, which is pretty much the oh, same thing close. as Oklahoma. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. Pretty. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Skybox is on. Skybox is on Old Dominion as well. I'm still trying. We got our uh, interns over here. Right? Uh, hurry up! I, I don't pay these in, these tech interns enough money. I guess they can't get it uh, back to me fast I have enough. to send them that beat package that they never got. Yeah, well, they're gonna have to earn that first. Uh, let's see, Old Dominion bowl history. I I think it may be their first bowl game. I think you might be right. Well, I mean, I just pulled that. Out. I just went out on a limb on that for sure. Um. We could have just made that up. No, they have a one and all record in bowl games. I think this is their second one. You know what? Actually, it's their first because we said so. Congrats to Old Dominion on their first ever bowl appearance. Yes. We're going with the Monarchs. Uh-huh. Win six games a year and get to go to, uh, to to a bowl game. Can't go wrong with that. One of the iconic bowls on December the 21st, it's the Idaho Famous Potato Bowl. It's being played at 2.30 in the afternoon on a Tuesday. It is Wyoming and the flashes of Kent State. We have – of. <clears throat> Excuse me, Wyoming minus three. I'm I love go- Wyoming. Ooh, I'm literally going off the logo. I'm going to go Kent State. I like the Cowboy logo that I'm staring at, but flashes oh, the Flash one's hey, cooler. Uh, look up Kent State's jerseys that they wore in that in their championship game. They look pretty sick. I know what you're talking about. They're sick. That was probably in the peripheral, peripheral of my mind. Skybox is on the jersey train, too. They're Kent State plus three. UT San Antonio in San Diego State in the Tropical Smoothie Cafe Frisco Bowl. Try saying wow. that five times fast. 
Tropical Smoothie Cafe. I'm guessing that's some smoothie company. Jackson Academy Education there. Uh, against San Diego State. How about this one? This is actually a really awesome matchup. So this is the same night uh, on next Tuesday. San Diego State ranked 24th in the country. They're a good football team. Uh, I don't know if any of you degenerates, how much you stayed up late watching San Diego State play. They destroyed pretty much everyone they played. They're 11 and 2, ranked 24th in the country. UTSA went 12 and 1, and it is UTSA, the unranked team, minus two. How about that? That tells me I'm going with the Roadrunners here. You give me UTSA over San Diego State in the Frisco Bowl tropical smoothie, whatever the hell I just said. Also closer to a home game than them. San Diego, a lot further from Frisco than San Antonio. How about that for some geography? That's cool. Wow, I I, 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 did, I I did not know that. Wow, that was pretty solid uh, information. That's, That's called a good analytics. angle, too. That's yeah, a good I, angle. you think Lane Kiffin's analytics book is thick? You should see mine. Uh, we're going uh, with the Roadrunners here, minus two. Man, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I would like to agree with you, but uh, they got trashed the last game of that that they played and end up getting uh, – um, you know, missing out on a perfect season. I mean, I think San Diego State's really, really good. You know, from the sounds of this, this really needs to have uh, a, a, a secondary playoff for these teams. I think it would be a really good, uh, you know, thing is, you know, taking all these ball games and do a secondary playoff with, you know, these, you know, San Diego States and that sort of thing. But that's a whole nother can of worms. But no, I'm going to go get, San Diego State. I get State. what you're saying along those lines. I'm following you. It's like, uh, um, because I mean, you this know, is what kind I wrote about when we started talking about a... playoff expansion, where like if Cincinnati hadn't gotten in, they were never getting in. So you're basically just telling the non-power five you don't have any sort of national title like trophy to play for. But like a, a not a group of five playoff would produce some pretty compelling football. Like give me oh, like yeah. Cincinnati and San Diego State and UTSA and um like coastal or something like that. Like they're you uh uh UCF, like there's some good teams in there. If you got eight of the best group of five teams, that would actually produce compelling football. I don't know what's going to happen with expansion, but like that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. It's the only level of football in the country, the group of five that doesn't really have anything to play for. I know Cincinnati's fighting to change that, and God help them, I'll be rooting for Cincinnati uh, on New Year's Eve or whenever the hell the playoff games are. But I'm agree with you. I think that would be cool. I think this is going to be the one of the bowl games you look back on and you're like. What the hell was the name of that? But that was a fascinating football. Like, you're going to be entertained on a Tuesday night right before Christmas. Skybox yeah, is I, on the Roadrunners as well, so they're on San Antonio. Yeah, and, I, and I, you know, I just think it'd be really cool if you just take, say, for example, you know, comfort, uh, the, the, the WAC, the Mountain West, the Conference USA, the American, and I don't know, the – give me another shitty uh, – no, the WAC uh, – the, uh, not the Big Twelve. What's the other? Uh, what uh, SMU's in? Oh, they're uh, American. Yeah. So, like, just team up those, you know, together, and you know, make your own playoff up. I think that'd be awesome. Yeah, I don't. I really don't hate that idea at all. Um, so, moving on, we got the Fort Worth Bowl. No, excuse me, Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl. Uh, I saw an article today from shockingly. USA Today wrote a think piece about how it's just detestable that Barstool Sports is hosting a bowl game. I don't know if you saw this. Um, oh, yeah. Look, I don't uh, really care whether you're like a Barstool guy or not. Uh, not you. I mean, like the collective so, listener out there. But, like, are you kidding me? Like, Lockheed Martin basically in the comes head, up with uh, ways to uh, – Lead singer. 
what lead singer of Lockheed Martin? <laughs> no, I think it's the lead lead singer of Creed. Of what? Wait, wait, what? What, what reference am I missing here? Uh, the, uh, the the Barstool uh, Bowl. I think the uh, the halftime show of the Barstool Bowl, uh, bowl is going to be the, the guy from Creed. You know, that is that real? Bowl, I thought that was a joke. Is that really happening? I think it's real. Oh I mean, my like, God! Yeah, please let that be true. I think I think Big Cat always tweets. You know the uh, the Thanksgiving halftime show yeah, from where, like oh uh, one like, the Creed Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, game. where the bald headed guy like was flying around. Yes. You know all the. I really think they're like going to reenact that at, at the Barstool Bowl. If that's true, I'd sign me up of that being the best bowl game of the year. That is one of the most hilarious <laughs> halftime performances of all time because it's Creed singing Can You Take Me Higher, which is the song that everyone loves to make fun of that band for, and it's just some bald guy who looks like Baltimore with angel wings. Those who are out there have seen it are laughing, and everyone who probably hasn't seen that is like, what the hell are these idiots talking about? But they wrote a think piece about, the, like, it's detestable that Barstool Sports uh, like gets to sponsor a bowl game. It's like it's not even on mainstream television. It's like how ironic is it that a newspaper is arguing that a bowl game is being streamed and then they're mad about this. And when Lockheed Martin, which I believe is like sells weapons to military, like pretty much just like how can we kill more people at once? Uh, but Barstool is detestable. I don't really understand that one. Anyway. I mean, you know, uh, any, any, anything from the USA Today is probably something that you probably should never read. It's a great rule of thumb. And I'm not even like trying to like, I'm not the biggest stoolie on earth. If you want to call it that I like some of their content, but I just find the, the fake outrage about that. Just very, Oh, to hell with it. Use their word detestable or whatever the hell that stupid shit said. Anyway, it's army against Missouri. The troops are a minus four favorite. They lost a tough game to a bad Navy team in the army Navy game. Uh, I got to tell you, I am hammering the troops here. I saw Missouri's defense this year. You're telling me that defense is going to stop the triple option. Can I go? Like, I, If this was Army minus 10, I'd take it, I think. I am all over the troops here. Oh, yeah, me too. I mean, they're just uh, very basic. You know, be smart. You know how terrible uh, Missouri is stopping the run. That's all Army does is run. So that is a that, uh, that's a lock for me. I would agree with that. I didn't even explain the lock system, but, you know, whatever. Um, Skybox is on Missouri because they hate America. I'm just kidding. Skybox is uh, very patriotic, but they're uh, they go by math and not by our stupid brains. And they are uh, they are on um, they are on Missouri there uh, right for Christmas. And we're going to stop at the Christmas bowls because we're going to do tar- part two of our bowl extravaganza next week. Another bowl game in Frisco. Shockingly, they host like the FCS national title. There's like three bowl games out there. One plays at the Star, the other one's at Toyota Stadium, whatever this is. It's unbelievable. One of the biggest things about moving out to Dallas, Texas that, like, opened up my eyes is, like, areas you don't even think of. You drive 35 minutes out to Frisco, and it is booming. It is massive. There's all kinds of stuff down there. Then you go five minutes down the road to Plano. It's the same thing. it's, It's really remarkable. So, another bowl game in Frisco here. Miami of Ohio against North Texas, another battle of six and six squads. Miami of Ohio minus three. Look, if both teams are six and six, and I haven't watched them play more than a quarter of football this year, I'm going with the underdog. So whatever, give me North Texas. It's right in their backyard. They're in Denton. Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, you know, they're, uh, North Texas is one of those uh, mascots that don't require the S. So oh, give yeah. Me the, give me the uh, mascot. Give me the mascot that doesn't require the S. Skybox is on North Texas. They're with us on that one. They got it at minus three and a half. Or excuse me, plus three and a half. Um, 
they Ooh, like, little, they like those low S mascots too. How about this? A little uh, Florida Bowl action, Raymond James Stadium. It's the Union Home Mortgage Gasparilla Bowl. It used to be the Bad Boy Mowers Gasparilla Bowl. I don't know what Human Home Union Home Mortgage is. I could probably deduct what they do from the title because I went to a private school in Mississippi and I got a great education from the MIS, as I keep mentioning. Um, but it is UCF in Florida. Florida interim coach Greg Knox, who in his career has never lost a game. He was actually the guy that was the interim coach when State beat Lamar Jackson after Dan Mullen left, and then he won another bowl game somewhere else. I can't remember what it was. He's like 2-0 and all time as a head coach. Uh, the belt bowl. The belt bowl. I think he won the belt bowl. Yeah, that may have been what it was. Florida minus 6.5. Uh, give me the UCF Knights here. This is the classic we're picked on little brother syndrome. We want to beat Florida here. Uh, give me UCF outright, but I'll take them to plus 6.5. Uh, I'm gonna have to do a, a Lee Corso not so fast. You Ooh. just mentioned how good how good the intern coach's record is in bowl games and after being t- after taking over for Dan Mullen. So I'm uh, I'm gonna go with uh, keep the perfect record going and uh, say Florida wins by ten. How about that? Oh, I like that. I like that. The Zag. Well, Skybox is not so fast at you. They got it at seven and a half, but they're on UCF as well. So they're on UCF plus seven and a half. Um, Again, the discrepancy is he sent me these earlier in the week, and then we procrastinated and this pull pick them then. Um, oh, here we go. It's back. I think it took a hiatus last year, if I remember correctly. The Degenerates, one of their favorite bowl games of the year. It is Christmas Eve. It is the Hawaii Bowl. Hawaii is in the Hawaii Bowl. All is right in the world again. You know what? I, I don't want to hear this shit about the Omicron variant. Uh, variant. Uh, I'm just kidding. I don't necessarily think that that's a myth or anything, not a, uh, not a truth or, but things are back to normal. It's the Hawaii in the Hawaii bowl on Christmas Eve. Everyone's throwing money on this game because they don't want to talk to their families and they want to sit in between the television and whatever stupid party they have to go to after they go to church. This is Memphis and Hawaii. It is Memphis minus seven and a half and give me the rainbow warriors to defeat the Memphis tigers, because I think a rainbow warrior would shoot a tiger with his bow. So that's my logic on this. And I'm not rooting against the uh, bows on the Island. Uh, Hawaii yeah. plus seven and a half book it. it. Isn't one of that, isn't that one of those set in your st- set in stone bets that like if Hawaii's playing, I always take them regardless of how much money you're up or down. Yes, I would say that's a good rule of thumb. And I would think a rainbow warrior could actually kill a tiger with his own bare hands. Yeah, I was probably uh, I was probably emasculating the uh, the rainbow warrior there. He probably doesn't even need a weapon, but if he gets one, uh, have at it. I think we have a Scott. I think we have a typo here with Scott Fox. Scott Fox says they're taking Memphis minus three and a half. I'm guessing that that's a slight typo there because if this line has moved four and a half points uh, in this amount of time on the Hawaii Bowl, uh, I'm, I'm guessing that's typo. So Skybox is actually going with Memphis minus the seven and a half, if I had to guess. I'll confirm not that anyone cares that much, but that's, uh, that's what we got there. We will stop there. That is the end of our first half of our bowl pick. And we do have a Christmas Day bowl game, but we're going to drop another podcast before that. We actually probably will drop it on Christmas Eve, but I couldn't resist. I had to get the Hawaii Bowl. So stay tuned for Skybox's picks next week because I bet they're about to go like 10 or 12 and 1, and you're going to want to come back for the picks. So come back, uh, escape your family on Christmas Eve. Maybe I'll drop it on Thursday and come uh, win some more money. Now it is time to transition to the league. 
where they play for pay, as the great Mike Francesa says. It's been a tumultuous week in the NFL. I think these sports leagues are trying to figure out how to deal with this new variant of COVID. COVID, as I've mentioned multiple times on this podcast, not my favorite content in the world. Um, you know, I'm not, it's, I just, I don't understand the people that discuss this shit ad nauseum. Like, you know, when's the last time it was like, Ooh, you know, I wasn't going to go get the vaccine, but that guy on get up really just crushed that segment. So uh, I'm going to go get vaccinated now or the other way around. Like, that's just, it doesn't make any sense to me, but point being the testing, like, it seems like this new variant is way more contagious, but way less like likely to induce symptoms or be any sort of like deadly at all. Um, and so I think the leagues are figuring out like what they need to do. And I think they're going to end up laxing protocols if I just had to guess, because if you looked at the news in the NFL and the NBA the last two days, everyone's on the damn COVID list and all of them are asymptomatic. They're going to have to change something, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just, uh, man, you know, what's right, what's wrong, you know, uh, how many vaccinations do you have to take to play a sport that, you know, you grew up, you know, playing. So, I mean, you know, just uh, let people do whatever they want to do, honestly. Yeah, I'm not trying to back. I'm not trying to uh, start up a COVID corner here. I just find it fascinating because they are going to have to change something because it appears this new variant is, you know, the vaccine is not like preventing it at all. And also these dudes are testing positive when they're like, I feel fine. And pretty much I saw like 87% of the NBA's cases were asymptomatic. So I just think they're going to have to do something or you're not going to be able to get through the year. Anyway, that was COVID corner. This is the league where they played for pay. I say that because we were supposed to have two Saturday games, but those have already been, one of them's already been moved. The uh, Browns had like 25 people on their COVID list. That game has now been moved to Tuesday. So a little bit of reminiscent on 2020, we're going to have two Tuesday night football games uh, because of COVID and the NFL kind of getting caught between protocols, it sounds like. And because I think they are going to change it, like I mentioned. We do have one Saturday game, though. That was a long winded way to get to the real stuff. The Indianapolis Colts are minus two and a half against the New England Patriots. This line doesn't make any sense at all. I don't think the Patriots have a huge outbreak. I tried to look up as much stuff as I could before we started recording this. Um, I, Carson, have you ever seen Carson Wentz play football? He's good for like 60% of the game, and then he does four or five things. Where you're like, how does that guy have functioning limbs? Uh, give me the Patriots here. What am I missing? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to keep it very simple, uh, short and simple. I like the Patriots. Uh, I'm going to take the Patriots outright and lock it. We get five locks in the NFL, as we mentioned every week. So I, I don't know what I'm missing yeah, I'm there. Gonna, I'm going to lock it with you. I like it. Let's double lock. Okay. Carolina and the Buffalo Bills starting the Sunday 1 o'clock action. This game is – Offline on what I'm looking at, but the other one I just pulled up has Buffalo minus 12. Uh, I don't trust Buffalo. I think Buffalo is actually playing better football. I was about to say I don't trust them. I think they could have won that game last week. I think this is a get-right week for Buffalo, and I don't know who's playing quarterback for the Panthers. Uh, I'm not going to take the bait here. Normally, I would say, you know, this is probably a, uh, you know, take the underdog thing. I'm actually going to ride the Bills here. Love the Bills this week. I just think that, you know uh... – don't know what's going on with uh, who's playing and who's not playing. I just think, uh, you know, just use your brain here and take the better team and uh, go with it. So I'm going to take the better team and go with the Buffalo Bills. If we have any devout, uh, if we have any devout uh, Fresh Cuts listeners that listen to our picks every week for anything other than comedic relief, I vowed last week I would keep score this time and not lose it. I did. Greg went right at 500. Do you remember what I did last week? I bet on the five worst – or I picked the five worst teams in the uh, National Football League. And uh, guess what? It did not work out. 
Well, for example, I think I was like <laughs> don't, don't worry, I, I, I bet I'm with you too, so it's not a big deal. I think I was like four and eight or something like that. It wasn't a great week. So anyway, just getting that out of the way. Skybox is not riding with us on the pro games because they have to, uh, you know, make money and sell that. Next one, Cardinals, minus 13 at home, or excuse me, on the road against the Detroit Lions. Cardinals coming off a frustrating loss in uh, at home that really not only cost them I mean, I think it'd still get the number one seed, but they'd have been in the driver's seat for both the NFC West and the number one seed if they'd have beaten the Rams at home. Rams had some COVID issues, now have way worse COVID issues. That's another game that's been moved. Um, really missed an opportunity there. I don't know if there'll be a hangover or rebound here, but they're minus 13 on the road. And I would never touch this game in real life with a 10-foot pole, but I can't quit the Lions. I'll take them. Yeah, I mean, you know, who, uh, how bad are, do you have to be to get double digits at home as an underdog? So, uh, I like betting on terrible teams. So, uh, sign me up for this one. As I literally just said the last time that you need to stay smart and bet on, uh, on the better team, and that's why I took Buffalo. So, I'm going to do the complete opposite on this and, t- and, and bet on the worst team and uh, take the line. There we go. Uh, you know, we don't have the, uh, the the Greg LB's connection anymore, which is unfortunate, which uh, Matt, you look like Matt Patricia. Yeah, where is Matt Patricia these days? I don't know what Matt Patricia's doing, to be completely well, honest. Well, I'll, have to look, I'll have to look him up. Maybe he needs a job at LB's. Yeah, there we go. Get uh, two Gregs in the house. Um, Jets, Dolphins. It is Dolphins minus nine and a half. Uh this seems like too many points, but the Dolphins win this game. They're seven and seven and really in the back of the playoff line. I'm going to go Dolphins here. I just don't trust the Jets. Yeah, I think the Dolphins are playing really good. I like the Dolphins. And, uh, you know, that two is, you know, becoming, a, uh, you know, a, an NFL quarterback, it seems like. And uh, I, I'm going to go with the hot end here. I like the Dolphins. Uh, keeping it rolling, we have Giants, Cowboys, the Giants at home. I'm assuming it's a backup quarterback. I think Daniel Jones has been ruled out again. Cowboys not playing great football. They're minus 10 and a half on the road. Good God, there's some ugly lines this week. Uh, so Giants plus 10 and a half at home. Man, they got blown out it. last week at the Chargers in Inglewood and weren't very competitive. And Joe Judge did the whole, like, I hate the fight I'm seeing in this team. And look, whatever you think of the Giants and how they're run, when you don't have your starting quarterback, no matter if it's Daniel Jones or not, they have some injuries and some COVID issues. This is going to be one of those inexplicable games that ends in like six points. I can't believe I'm doing this, but I'm taking the Giants. Man, I just uh, I'm gonna take the Cowboys. I just uh, uh, you know I'm getting I would like to bet back to back on terrible teams, but I'm just gonna go with the better team on the situation. I'm gonna go Cowboys. Congrats to you on being smart. Um, because yeah. I am not. Well, it's that MRA education coming through. You know, that's uh, that's what helps out sometimes. There we go. A couple of MIS dudes just yucking it up on a pod. Oh, uh, let's see. Titan Steelers. This one's in Pittsburgh. This feels like a last stand type uh, ish, uh, deal for the Steelers here. I don't love the Titans in this spot, but I think they're a better football team. It's Pittsburgh minus one, and I'm locking the Titans. Mostly just wishful yeah. thinking. Yeah, I'm going to go with you. I mean, I'm sitting here trying not to agree, but I don't, I don't know if it's good or bad. But, yes, I like the Titans here. I just think that uh, there's no more gas left in the Ben Roethlisberger tank. Here's an awesome game. Jags, Texans. I cannot believe this is a real line. The Jags are five-point favorites. Wait, the Jags are five-point favorites? That is correct. That is not a typo. I'm going to double-check it on this other side. It is Jags minus five versus the Texans. Give me the Texans. Yeah, Texans all the way for sure. 
I mean, that's, that's one of those lines where the Jags are going to win by 10 and you're just going to be like, what the hell did they kind of this happen? Maybe they rot, you know, they hated Urban well, Meyer. Well, they so just much. got rid of Urban Meyer. So that's a good angle. I'm flipping. I'm going Jags minus five. I don't challenge me on how gross I can get on this podcast. I'm going Jags minus five. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna have, I mean, like I literally, I'm going to have to agree with you just because I literally just talked myself out of it. There we go. We just talked ourselves back into uh, the worst team by far. I don't care what records say. They are the worst team in the NFL. They are horrendous. So we're going Jags minus five there. Look, they clearly hated urban. I mean, that kicker, like talked to a Tampa, the kick. Did you see the story that came out this week where Josh Lambeau, I think he's since been cut. Um, Told you know did uh, basically talked to a reporter from a Tampa newspaper wrote a story about how Urban Meyer kicked him. Did you see this where Urban Meyer walked up to him after a preseason game when they were warming up in practice next week and just kicked him in the thigh and was like, "Hey, dipshit, make your kicks." Did you see this? Yeah, and, and I think somebody showed me there uh, that Urban Meyer is a, a five point. He's getting paid five million dollars to be a kicker now. <laughs> Congrats. <laughs> Congrats to uh, our friend Urban Meyer. Yeah, I'm going to go with the hate. They hate Urban Train. They clearly hate that guy because, look, when you, here's a little in, inside the biz for you. You can be a terrible coach, and, like, if your players don't hate you, you know, you'll probably get fired and not much will hear from you, like a Matt Patricia. But if your players hate you and you conduct yourself like an asshole, you have leaks come out like this. Like, that kicker story oh, yeah. doesn't come out if he's a likable individual. I mean, look, like it's kind of obvious, like a likable guy is probably not going to kick his kicker in the shin and then tell him I can kick you whenever I want. I'm the head football coach. Good God. I mean, I, mean, I mean, after the video came out with him and his uh, killer dance moves uh, on the open week and then uh, just everything in general, I, I, I doubt that Urban Meyer will ever coach ever again. Yeah, with his finger up some chick's butt anyway. Sorry, we'll try to yeah. keep it as G-rated as we can. So, sure. whatever. We're on the Jags momentum. Uh, there's actually a good game that has serious AFC playoff implications uh, starting in the late window. It is Denver at home against Cincinnati. I like. I watch Cincinnati every week, and I'm like, I like what they do. They have speed on defense. I like Burrow. But, man, they do so much dumb stuff as a football team. They're a nightmare to play. Like, not play, like in, in, in wager on. And this is Denver minus three, and I'm going to let the Bengals kill me one more time. I like the Bengals plus three in uh, Arrowhead, excuse me, in uh, Mile High, and I'm going to lock it, actually. Uh, I'm going to go – I just think the Bengals are, I mean, are a good team, but they just – oh, man. This I is a head case it, game. Like, but yeah. I, don't, I hate watching both of these teams. I hate wagering on both these teams, I should say. Well, I think just Denver's just played so much better at home. So – that's kind of the angle that I keep going with on Denver. Like, I just like betting Denver at home. So, I'm just going to keep rolling with the Denver at home. Uh, I think you're so right because, right, they pounded the Chargers at home. And maybe I have bias from early in the year because you remember the Raiders went in there and stomped them. And I don't even think the Raiders are good. But you're right. Their last couple of home games they have, like, they've kind of put the, the throat on the opponent. This is – ugh, no thank you. Um, yeah, this so is definitely uh, something you don't want to be watching. Yeah, so I just opted. it. This is this will be a hold on to your butts game. Like I'll watch it. It'll be a fascinating game. But like in terms of getting a feel and an actual read, it it just mm, I don't know. I have no read for that one. Uh, Falcons Niners, the Kyle Shanahan Bowl. Niners minus nine and a half. Uh, wow. Niners playing great football. They're seven and six. They're winners of four in a row. They're I think they're a lock for one of these wild card spots. I think they're actually good. Uh, you know, they had some injuries. They had some stinkers. They started 0-4 at home, but they're healthier now, and they got a good defense, and they run the ball well. Whatever you think of Jimmy Garoppolo, Kyle Shanahan's one of the best uh, coaches in the NFL at scheming runs. 
and run action and play action. And so there, I think that team's good. Like if that team kind of snuck its way into an NFC title game, I wouldn't be totally stunned with that said, it's minus nine and a half. The Falcons kept their playoff hopes alive by beating the hell out of Carolina on the road last week. Uh, I can't quit them. I'm going to take the dirty birds. Oh, wow. Uh, wow. I, I thought we, you know, have, oh no, that was like three years ago. We uh, banned, yes, the Falcon, we banned ourselves from betting on the Falcons <laughs> nine times. That, that That's almost the running joke at this point. It just, we never <laughs> obey our own rules. Uh, I will go with San Francisco. I think they're playing good ball right here. And I just, you know, I would love to probably take the points here, but I think I'm just going to go uh, with the uh, better team angle this time. Yeah. You know, congrats on uh, being smart and all that. Some of us on this podcast are just really not interested in being smart. So I'm going to go, I'll stick with my Falcons pick. Oh, um, let's see. What do we have now? Oh, 325 game. Fascinating game. I hope there's no COVID issues in this one. And I mean that like not even tongue in cheek, obviously, but like I hope this is fully healthy roster. The Baltimore Ravens, eight and five, dealing with some injury stuff. They don't know if Lamar's going to play. This is the Packers minus six and a half on the road. So it's Ravens, Packers, and Baltimore. This line would lead me to believe Vegas does not believe Lamar's playing. They've kept it up in the air all week. Uh, John Harbaugh, I, I read a couple of things earlier today that was like, we hope he plays, but we just don't know. That man got carted off last week. Like, he's lucky. It's lucky that it's not a season-ending deal. Um, like, I think they were very fortunate in that sense. This tells me he's not playing. With that said, I think the Ravens rally at home here. Wouldn't shock me if they won this game. I'm taking the Ravens and using my third lock at plus six and a half. That Hundley guy is not bad. He's actually pretty good. Yeah. Uh, who's that, UCLA? I think so. Yeah, I think that's the yeah. same one. He, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a couple Huntleys. There was a backup for the Packers. There was a Huntley that wasn't any good. I can't remember which one which, but they lost last week to uh, Cleveland after getting down early. They lost the Mar. That guy can actually do some stuff. I actually like the Ravens here, and it wouldn't stun me if they won this game. This feels like a classic Packers stinker. Yeah, I think that, you know, uh, you look at these teams that play so good at home. I, I think that, you know, the Ravens are one of those teams that, you know, play good at home. So, uh, I like the Ravens here, uh, uh, and you know, just got to take a home dog. Uh, I think would be a good, a better option. One of the best rivalries in football. I always say it about Saints Falcons, but man, some of these Saints Bucks games have been awesome. I know the last one, Jameis got hurt, but like the electric that they met in the playoffs last year, I've enjoyed this late Brady Saints rivalry. I know there was Breeze with them last year, but I just really enjoyed when these two teams play. I don't know why. I just get very into the games. Another Sunday night football game. I think these two teams played on Sunday night last year around the same time. Remember, this was the game the Saints went in there and got up like 31-0. Do you remember this last year on Sunday night? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't think that happens again. I hate to burst the Saints bubble here. Yeah. It's Tampa minus 11 and a half. I'm actually going to go with the Saints here. I just – I think that's too many points. The Saints are competent enough. The caveat here is Sean Payton, as of Friday at about 12 o'clock, tested positive for COVID for what seems like the 12th time. How many times does that guy have COVID? Are we sure he's ever <laughs> not had COVID? I mean, we can just call him the COVID coach. He's probably example A of the protocols needing to change because if I'm Sean Payton, I'd probably have to try to fight someone. You're telling me I have to miss another game for this. Um <laughs> It is Saints plus 11 and a half. I'm going to take the Saints. Yeah, I'll, I agree with you. I mean, I think that, you know, Taysom Hill is kind of finding his way on the offense and, you know, playing a little bit better. And, um, you know, they beat a terrible Jets team last week. But, you know, that uh, that can give you some confidence going into a big conference game. And, you know, they still got a shot at the playoffs and, you know, still can do some damage. So, I'm going to take the Saints here and hopefully uh, be a – uh, you know, a, a touchdown or a field goal. I think the Saints defense is good enough to, to you know, keep them in the game. 
I don't mean to make light of COVID in the slightest at all, but if there's one positive byproduct of all this and having to move it around and I get no one wants to have to do this, we get two Monday games and we get two Tuesday games this week and like more football, particularly this time of year when no one's really working, um, sign me up for that. Uh, so we have a reschedule from the Saturday game, Browns Raiders. It's Cleveland minus one and a half. Really and truthfully, you're an absolute moron if you play this game before the day of because they moved it back to give them a couple more days. And I'm assuming Cleveland will get some, some people off the COVID list. I'm just not sure who. And so we'll go with Cleveland minus one and a half right now. But like this is to me, is just a complete no play, but obviously we don't do that on this show. I, I guess I'll take the Browns. Like I like to think case Keenum or Baker Mayfield comes off the list. They get a couple of defenders back. And like with 11 starters out, I bet a bunch of people have hammered the Raiders. I just don't trust the Raiders on the road, no matter who's playing. So I'm going to go Browns here, but this is a, you know, four hours before the game, you check who's playing and then try to figure it out from there. I mean, I'm going to have to agree with you there too. I mean, you know, it's just almost like a flip a coin game almost. Uh, just go with the Browns. I'm going to go with the Browns. You know, we're just going to keep it, keep it basic. Yeah, I like that. The original uh, intended Monday night game is uh, Bears-Vikings. Man, if the Bears had just won a couple more games, this would actually have some playoff uh, implications. Vikings have to have this game. They're minus six on the road, which tells me Kirk Cousins is going to throw an absolute stinker. Give me the Bears. I don't even think they're good. Uh, uh, yeah, I, you know, this is just just smells trouble. But Yes, uh, it does. That's crazy. a great way to put it. For some strange reason, I think Dalvin Cook might run it 55, maybe 60 times this uh, this game, and just hopefully uh, he can uh, put put the team on his shoulders. So I'm gonna go. Uh, I don't know why I'm doing this. I'm gonna go with Minnesota. I like. Uh, I'm gonna go with Minnesota here. Kirk Cousins is the prime example of stats don't tell the story. Do you know what and Kirk Cousins? Hot garbage. Do you know hot what garbage his, at night? <laughs> and on standalone games, do you know what his numbers are this year? I mean, I got, he's actually I, I, had some decent fantasy answer. numbers. Uh, he's, he's had some decent fantasy numbers, right? 67 completion percentage, seven and a half yards of completion, 27 touchdowns, five picks. Yet, would I mean, you that's ever, almost like a Would you ever, team. if Kirk Cousins is the quarterback of the Saints tomorrow, they're playing the Bucs for the Super Bowl on the line, would you ever trust that? Because you would trust Ooh. 27 touchdowns, five picks, but I <laughs> – I, I wouldn't trust Kirk Cousins the life of me. I don't even like the way he looks in his stupid little helmet. His head looks four times the size of his normal head in that helmet. Um, I will say he does have the funniest gif of all time where he was uh, he won a big game. He's like, that's what I'm talking about or something. You like said, that. You like that. Oh, my gosh. I cannot believe I messed that one up. You like that. We <sighs> got Monday, a Tuesday game. Tuesday, this is the – surely they'll change this. The NFL, for being the richest sports league in the world, uh, maybe EPL, I don't know. I'll check back for soccer corner. Wait, isn't one game in uh, in uh, in England this week? No, no, they're done with the London games. They don't want to make teams travel this late in the year. Um, okay. We the to, to two rescheduled games, we have two games rescheduled, Washington and uh, the Eagles, because the uh, Washington has a lot of COVID problems, and then the Seahawks and Rams. They're playing both of these games on regional Fox networks at the same time. Make that make sense to me. Both of these games are at six o'clock central time. Why? I mean, I guess they don't, uh, they want to uh, see who, who makes the more money or who generates the more TV. Uh, maybe uh, that, that's whoever they keep in the NFL. That would probably be a good one. I'm not even sure if I'm going to be able to watch both of those. I have Sunday ticket, but I don't have 
no, excuse me. I have red zone, but I don't have Sunday ticket and red zone is not going to be playing on a Tuesday. I, I'm going to be cranky if I can't watch both of these. I'm just going to put it out there. I'm probably going to complain to my roommate or whoever else is around, just throwing that out there. So two games at the same time. Again, both of these are going to be just day of games because Washington is supposedly starting Garrett Gilbert at quarterback if the game were played on Sunday. We don't know. This seems very stupid. One of them doesn't even have a line out. It's LA Rams minus six. If the Rams get guys out of protocols, I'm going to go Rams – excuse me, Rams-Seahawks. I just screwed that up. I went in between two games. Rams Seahawks, it's Rams minus six. I don't know who the Rams are going to have uh, available, but uh, give me the Rams. Yeah, I'm gonna have to agree with you. I think that um, you know this is probably Russell Wilson's last game at Seattle and uh, move forward to another team. But uh, yeah, just got to press the refresh button in Seattle. It looks like so. I think the Rams might uh, hammer the last nail in the coffin. To, uh, and then. I can't find a Washington Eagles line anywhere. I think both teams may be dealing with some uh, COVID issues here. So um, I like I like the football team, other than the, uh, uh, even though they uh, gave me a big old stinker last week. Perfectly on brand way to end the pod. Just no line. Give me the football team winning the game. I like that as well. This has been week fifteen in the National Football League. We'll be back with our post-Christmas picks next Thursday or Friday. We'll have Skybox as well. Be sure not to miss that. Check him out, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. It's going to make your holiday season better. I can guarantee you that. Appreciate the time, my man, and we will holler at you next week. Yes, sir. All right, that's our show. I appreciate everybody tuning in. hope you're having a safe and happy weekend. Don't do anything I wouldn't do or do. I don't care. You're all adults out there. I can't manage you. Um, we will be back in on Monday. I've got an interesting interview coming up for the people on Monday. It's not something you would probably expect, but uh, I think it'll be a fun one. So stay tuned for that on Monday. We'll have all kinds of bull content and uh, stuff of that nature as well. So y'all have a great weekend.